0: Welcome to Bleed TV, the podcast of the best shows on TV, and I'm Zach. Tonight we're doing the Baxter Executioner. Uh, This was episode 109, uh, called the Bernadette Maneuver, I believe. Uh, Kind of a unique name. But anyway, the the writers on this one um, were, of course, um, Sutter as well as Roberto Patino. Um, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, another new credit to the writing force, um, so that was pretty good. Like shaking it up and giving Sutter some extra, you know, because I think it's definitely shown in the last couple of episodes when you had some other guys going roll in here with uh, their credentials and how they're adding spice to the show, and I- I'm enjoying a good part of that. Um, as for the episode itself, I will tell you, and this is hard to say, I did struggle with this episode. Um, there were some really really good parts, but there were also some parts that seemed like um, they just weren't as well thought out or needed to be more polished. Um, especially in the beginning of the episode, uh, you know, the uh, especially when they kind of they're on the road and on the campfire, you know, campsite and letting the twin go and their entire conversation. It it, it seems kind of forced um... the dialogue doesn't quite match. you know some people are a little too chipper. some people are just dead to the world. I don't know. I just the, the ebbs and flows were a little off on some parts of that and some things were just a convenient. But let's just go into the episode and what I can talk about what I'm explaining. but overall it was a good episode. Uh, it just definitely had a few things that I, I think definitely need to be polished a little more. Uh, of course, the entire thing starts out like I said, they're at the camp. They're on the road to, on their way to find Galveston. Um, and the conversations, like I said, were a little lax and not quite what I considered, you know, I don't know, it just seemed kind of awkward, you know, that even the looks were giving back and forth and so on. And I don't know if that was just a pure intention, but it just didn't kind of have the feeling I thought. And then, of course, um, Ash and this dim bull fella here, you know, he's been playing the, you know, village idiot now for ever since the season begins and has zero to little, um, Anything that he brings to the table as a character, other than just being the dim bulb or the village idiot, you know. Yes, he's a friend of Rattle and Marshall and all them, but uh, he he's more of the pun of every joke, you know, or you know, in that in that retro sense. So, you know, this episode they've definitely leaped him in this character um, to have like having some intrigue and so on. But I did think it was kind of strange we waited until the ninth episode of a ten-episode se- ten season before we finally dove into this guy to get some intrigue, and then it is so far right-handed compared to left-handed that the character's been. Um, and we, we'll dive more into that later on. Of course, he lets the twin go, um, and it's almost like he did it on purpose, like he knew what he was doing, but the scenes made it feel like he was just dim and... Uh, didn't didn't realize what he's doing but then, you, then it shows the vibe of well I'm just gonna jog I'm, I'm not I'm gonna jog after her. like this is all part of my plan like he's actually smarter than he perceives and so what are we supposed to interpret from this um, so that was it was I don't know if it's intriguing or confusing or is there more to this and of course later in the episode you see the body of the twin and has been you know, The arms, not arms, I'm sorry, the hands and the feet have been uh, severed off. And you saw where he had collected them. And then you saw the head was severed and turned around on the body. You know, um, and of course there was another part earlier where you see where he's collected the hands and feet. And when that scene happened, you didn't know whose hands and feet they were. You didn't know why he had them. You didn't know what the symbolism was. And then later in the episode, you do see her body and it's gone why where is this what is this supposed to be interpreted as what is his motivation why now is he somebody who seems to have uh an alternative motive and are we just now catching it episode nine is he attached to something else we don't know is he a spy is he an operative for somebody else is he a part of the deacon is he a part where where is this taking us that part is curious to me, and I hope that there's reward for where we're going with this character. Um, because what he's been doing for the last eight episodes is not what we got this episode. And so, that I do see as a positive, and so I am looking forward to see where they go, but I hope they do. I mean, I'm afraid that we've got this intrigue and stuff, but it's more or less just a little seasoning, and we're not getting the actual meal. So, um, we'll see where that goes. But anyway. It continues on, and we see some flashes of Nora and Sutter. You know, I would call him Sutter, but I mean, I guess he's the Dark Mute, or he's not the Dark Mute, or he's the Templar. Um, you know, and I, I have to say it, I enjoy his outfit when he's the Dark Mute, when he has the hood that covers majority of his face, or at least the shadow that protrudes from it. He looks more, much more intimidating. He looks much more of a badass and somebody you wouldn't want to catch in the you know, in the dark woods, I guess. Then when he puts his shiny Templar outfit, I, I guess that's just me. Um, I just I think he, he has a better look of intimidation, and I think you know it makes me feel like he's a he's more of a badass. And so I hope they kind of keep going that way. Uh, I hope the Templar thing plays its part. Um, at the same time, like last episode, the priest and Luca the boy have were kidnapped, and we've seen that the priest is being held captive and being beaten. Uh, has wounds, um, and the deacon comes in and realizes that his faith is stronger than his, you know, than any pain you can inflict, and decides to go the opposite direction, you know, and, hey, heal his wounds. Let me do my work and God's work, and decides to do the talking thing. And I really enjoyed the dialogue. The guy who plays the archdeacon is doing a really good job. He he seems slimy. He seems like a wolf in sheep's clothing. He fits the part perfectly. His demeanor, his um his, his his how he delivers his dialogue, his accent. I really, really enjoy it. And of course, the priest, that this actor is phenomenal. And this these these interactions right here were some of my best and most favorite of the entire episode. Their interaction, their dialogue and so on, I think was the best that we've seen even on the entire series. I mean, we've had a lot of different dialogues with Bradle with different people, uh Corbett or Chamberlain you want to call him, and different people. Um and it struggled in little parts, even though it's had some great intensity, some great parts, and so on. But this was one of those scenes where, from start to finish, kudos, great job, Sutter. It was just really well put together. Two two guys who really did their part and sold it, and I was soaking it up like a dry sponge. You know, and they discussed um, they discussed the whole you know the Jesus and Nazarene and these scriptures and how damaging they can be and how it could crush or or rattle the faith of so many that don't need to know the truth, and so on. So even the deacon's almost admitting this, that you know, but it would unravel thousands of years of God's work, and so on, which was very hypocritical in what he was saying. Um, it, it very seemed much uh, alternative motive, but I understand what he was trying to say. And the priest, he wasn't having it. You know, he you know he made it look like it was, but I knew from the get go, and I was happy he showed it his true teeth later. Um, by uh picking the lock, coming up and I you know, I'll be honest with you, I did not expect the priest just to go ahead and stab him in the neck and be done with the main guy. I thought there was gonna get a little bit of a battle scene. I thought we we're gonna get a little bit of a I guess his head henchman or like that would have his opportunity. Instead, the priest was let him know I was an assassin and he dispatches these three guys rather easily, without any effort. Um, you know, breaks the chain with a sword and out the door he goes and man oh man I hope we continue with this kind of stuff I hope this is not the end of his fighting or anything else I hope we get to see him come out and continue doing what he's doing and I am looking forward to that um during this time we get some flashes and some different scenes with the Baroness and the um, Lucas mom you know uh, Max's wife and you know basically just kind of letting them know that the uh, you know, what you saw is not a delusion, but you need to you quit this delusion of that that's your husband, so there's no, you know, there is no whore, there is no noble whore or anything like that because he is not your husband, this is all a farce. And, you know, that was good. Um, the, this was another good situation with two actors, you know. I, I'm really curious, I wonder if this wife is gonna be able to hold her tongue. I really wonder if she is gonna be a pitfall for the future. I wonder if she is going to do something that's going to be damaging to herself, the Shire, or someone that could lead to a death of a major character and so on. These are things that I'm concerned about her. She is definitely a liability character and Sutter is known for having those liability characters around and seeing the level of havoc they can cause. um, She is my number one on that right now. we finally make it to the castle where Galveston is being held, and so on. This is where they do the ruse using Ash, you know, and his all of a sudden captured deer. Um, of course, like I said, they make jokes at him, even puns at him because it was deer, and he's talking to animals and so on. And then they have this whole plan of he comes out there to sell and get fresh meat and get and draw out the knights, which is a, is a quality plan um and then when it's dark brattle comes out there and discusses being an older brother and him being dim-witted and so on and then i got what i kind of felt was a redundant scene you know if you remember back in the first episode they ambushed this noble caravan and by shooting arrows into them um... and then going to attack him and so on and i feel like we got the exact same scene almost over again I mean you see a person get an arrow through the cheeks uh, I think the last time it was an arrow through the neck um, and then a couple other ones and then a, a really really quick sword fight play uh, unfortunately like a lot of the other episodes especially here towards the end the sword the sword play and fighting has been what I, I felt like a little more authentic um, you know it was a little longer lasting they didn't get dispatched so you know, rather quickly um, so far, every time that Bridal's been with this situation, they've gone into swordplay, they rarely, if not ever, lose one of their own men. Um, I understand these these Shire knights, noble and no, knights of nobility and so on are good, but don't tell me everybody else is terrible. Um, and so I guess I'm, I'm needing that. Don't get me wrong. There was a scene a couple episodes ago where one ran off chasing somebody and then he gets a dagger through... The his face and he dies and you know that causes a ripple effect, but it wasn't in a combat situation, um, and that's kind of surprising. I, I would just imagine we would have some of that. You know, in the first episode when the Baron was getting ready to attack and gets ambushed, even his own men were able to take out some of the rebels and wildly stuff. So we had not had that since, and so I'm waiting for that to kind of come back to fruition. You can't be dominant all the time with all your men. Um, So I I want that. I want to see that. And it'll make me feel better. Um, They break into the place. Like I said, they easily kill everybody in the place. Now there is this good part. As soon as I got done complaining about that, we do go inside and we do get to see this struggle. Um, You There's a little hand-to-hand combat. It does require help and so on. But I don't consider it more of a swordplay. play. It was more of like a barbaric wrestling. um, Who can get to the dagger, quick figure. And I absolutely love Marshall's um, you know infastab, you know, let me see how many times I can stab like wink, 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 as fast as you can getting four, five, six, seven, eight stabs into a guy in a matter of seconds and it was it was almost comical I really really enjoyed this you know they're helping each other out, they're doing good and they make their way through this castle with relative ease to find Galveston sitting there just eating his fruit and being pompous as always and we finally get this scene of you know Corbett and Galveston sitting there, and oh how the tables have turned, you know, and the you know the the grin and the the gloating in this situation, and you know it, it needed it. It was worth it. it. It it was it was a it was a sweet moment. It was a redemptive, and it's not something I expected so quickly. You know, it was very short time ago that you know Corbett was so embarrassed and even slapped away when. He would kneel to suck the guy's dick and everything. And that, you know, that was just very recent. And to already be back in that situation where the tables are turned and corporate sets him up the exact same way, you know, uh, you know, and stands up, drops trial, and the guy gets down and even puts mouth on and goes to t- But who, of all y'all, who expected him to grab this head and jam him in, on into him? This guy right here did not expect this, and I was blown away. Leaned up out of my chair, going, "No, no, whoa!" You know. And my immediate thought is, is the gag reflex or a bite down, and this is going to be a disaster. But of course, they didn't go that way because that would kind of ruin the the shine on the 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 extra humiliation of the scene. And uh, it, it it was a good table turn. It was it was a good way to you know put it back towards him and, you know, use his own lines against him. And I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was pretty neat. Um, now the the deal getting loyalty from the, uh, from Edwards man that was holding Galveston and his pretty little mistress there. Um, the whole, Hey, let's get the pair out and let's get the, this hook out. Um, and this little plan to pinch her to make her scream and to make him understand and change his tune and so on. You know, I actually really appreciated this. This was a way of, of something that could have fixed it. Um, it showed a compassion. It showed that he was able to do his own conniving. Um, and I think they pulled the scene off really, really well. It, I liked how Corbett comes over and goes, not a, not a, not a drop of blood. Um, all this was good uh, you know this was one of those scenes in the scene in the episode that really flowed it really had the right things going the tone was right um you know they made it believable the guys disgust and anguish was uh, i'm really surprised he lasted as long as he did let be honest with you. i mean if you really have this affinity for this girl and so on if in your mind she is getting the the pair is being used on here where they're you know Cranking it or turning it and damaging her from the inside. Do you really take it to where you have to see the hook going there and discussing tearing the flesh away? Do you have to get to that point? Um, if you really are you, if you're that close in love and you fold, uh, I guess I guess he did a good job. I just I, I don't see me lasting that long. I don't think a lot of people would last long. Would you last that long? What do you think? Um, so that that was something different. The uh, the scene after this, shortly after, where they bring Galveston outside, they've let the nobles from the other shires come over, they do the exchange, you know, here's this writ, sort of, you know, X amount of money in this bank, and, and Galveston's on his knees, this kind of surprised me. Um, you know this was a cool the setting was really cool I don't know if anybody really thought about it and looked at you know they chose this place the lighting was a little bit lower like it was opening morning not in the middle of the day like they have done a lot in the early episodes and they are discussing and they do this like he even got said a mockery of trial you know where only two people say I and he's guilty Um and they decide, you know, he used to be killed by beheading and execution and so on. This part of, you know, go ahead and dispatch him and, oh, here's your blade and, you know, better for your hand that knows it to wield it, you know. And Galveston calls him out, you know, like, oh, you're basically pussies that can't do it. You know, you don't want your name attached to the killing of the man and, and, uh, and this this part surprised me I, I didn't expect that and which it was a good thing because you know I would think that both of them would, would be rushing at the opportunity to kill if they really felt like this was going to be something that solidifies their allegiance against the king but if anything it proved that neither one of them were confident and they're only doing their own power plays and O'Brien had to step up now That is the one thing that I was concerned about. You know, if both of them didn't care, you know, to do it because they were fearful that their name might be attached, why does this mean that because you're an executioner, your name doesn't get attached? I would think that since Corbett or Chamberlain, whatever you call it, if it was his executioner that did the bidding, wouldn't that still be him attached to the one who did it? Wouldn't it not be just the same as him wielding the sword if it was just his man that did it? Um, that was curious to me, you know. I don't. I don't see how that changes his outcome because it's still from his shire, it's still his man, his his executioner. And so I didn't get that. I, I, I really didn't. Um, so I thought that was curious, and I wonder if that's going to have a a uh, a turning point later on, is when you know he is found out that he's dead and so on, and who did it? Do they? Is that something they go after Brattle? Is that something they go after the Shire as a general? Or because it was Corbett's guy and he gave the order, does that mean it's head for him? And so I wonder if we're going to get that information. I wonder if that's going to become a plot point for the future. Anyway, how about this scene of him slicing this head in half? Even better, what about the whole, I go stab him in the back to make him kind of become erect because of the wound and brattle... Hitting him in the exact same time, just about, and severing the head right across the top of the lip above the ear into two pieces. Woo, man! I'm talking brutal. Could you imagine how much strength it takes, and the and the edge of that blade to be able to sever the skull into a perfect line like that? I don't know if it's possible. I really don't. You know, I've watched some of these shows or really sword making shows and the capabilities of weapons and even mythbusters sometimes and i got to tell you i do have doubts that a sword could actually cut a head clean in half right across that line that he was cutting i'm not saying it's not possible i'm just saying it takes a sheer amount of force and for a person who has a broadsword not even like a super sharp weapon or something i'm curious i wonder if that is something that was happened a lot and that was something that uh, was very factual, and I'm completely off base. If you know, or you have something, or you can send me a link to something that shows that yes, that is possible, or yes, that is something that was common, or the the swords would be much easier than what you think. I am all ears. I'd love to know. And you know, not to say I want to see somebody get you know decapitated or slash cut the head, but if there's something that you know you can tell me or reference, I'd love to hear it. And that's. Because I'm fascinated by that. I'm always about trying to be actual, real, not saying actual, but factual and realistic to a lot of the wounds. Don't get me wrong. I think sometimes you got to go for the money shot and the, the cool effect and the exuberant amount of blood. Sometimes it, it really creates that, <laughs> that draw. But I do want to see the effect. And this show has done such a great job. Of doing the accuracy of some of the torture techniques, some of the equipment used, you know how it's laid out, the step process, and so I am super excited. And I super enjoy that they've done that and have kept it actual, and so I feel like it's a promising situation. But like I said, if you got a few minutes, you can tell me about it. I want to know. Now, the show kind of wraps, going more towards the Baroness and you know, in Nora's situations, you know, we come back, we address the situation with the Baroness of so the wife's going to be fine, but by the way, Luke is missing. Um, and so that's an issue. But during that time, is it me? Or is there anybody else out there that feels like the bridal is a little foolhardy boy, you know, a kid with a new candy or something. He sees the Baroness and his grin and his overdraw and his, you know his complete demeanor is so unique uh when he is around her mm-hmm. getting closer leaning in for kisses and so on I, I think it's it's all it's almost comical but you know hey guys in love hey there you go the uh and the but the 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 wham bam at the end of course is is that He's lost his favor for Honora. He's not happy about things. He's starting to blame her for his situation and how things are not going right. And then she hits him with a rope of dope and says, oh, my son. And that's how the episode ends. And I hate to tell you, and I was buzzing this on Twitter and Facebook, I feel like they've been telegraphed this a lot. You know, these little visions and the things they've seen and the pictures of him, you know, fake sword fighting with... You know, Sutter watching him and so on. And I pose this question. Does that mean Sutter's daddy? You know, is it just a Nora? Are they mom and dad? Or, you know, is this, is there, what does this have to do with the future? Man, I am salivating. I want to know. And if this is some kind of mystical future because they are his parents, why would they kill his wife and child? What is, how does that help? How does that hurt? What is, what is, I'm really, really curious to see where they're going with this. And I'm be honest with you, I'm upset we only have one more episode. I'm afraid we're not going to get enough answers in this next episode. There's going to be more about action-packed and setting up the real the real problem for the next year of drama, you know, in the next season. So, oh, gosh, I hope we get a little bit more and not and don't be left too much of a hanging. And I'm really afraid of that. But, um, I'm man, I'm really looking forward to the payoff. I'm really looking to see how this is going to go. Excited about it. And I'm also sad that next, next week is the end of it. And I'm hoping that things really come out, of, come out of the park, really have some cool action, and we're set up and salivating for the next season. But like I said, guys, hit us up at at T V Podcast on Twitter, PlayTVPodcast at gmail.com. dot Give me your thoughts. Let me know some of the stuff we talked about tonight. What are y'all thoughts? If you got some information, you could tell me some of the questions I posed. I'd love to hear you. We got a we got a Facebook page. We got a um, uh, website. Really want to talk. Want to get some feedback. Looking forward to next week, guys. It's always been fun. This is Blue TV Zach, and I'm out.